You are listening to the Young Culture Podcast, where young adults from all backgrounds and experiences share their ideas and opinions. Hello, Young Culture. Thank you for listening in. It's Vanita here, and I have Parlene with me. Parlene, if you want to say hey. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for coming. I'm excited to um, talk about what we're going to be talking about today. So why don't you first start off with telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, for sure. First, I just want to say thanks to Vanita for having me on here. I'm super, super excited to be here um, and just talk about what I do. So I am an accredited financial counselor, a student of the Trauma of Money Certification Program. I am the financial coach at COHO, and I consider myself a millennial money coach. I uh, opened up my own uh, financial coaching business about two months ago where I coach young women of color uh, on how to rewrite their money stories and really elevate their lifestyles. So yeah, super I love excited. that. Okay, what really caught my attention, you said trauma of money. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so trauma of money is a program that a mentor of mine, Chantel Chapman, created this year. Um, I was always interested in exploring so how do I create behavioral change within my clients? Like I wanted to get past the superficial budgeting and credit score advice. I'm like, how do I really make an impact? Um, and then this program came out with trauma of money and it's about exploring deep rooted money beliefs and just um, how generational societal, cultural trauma all play a role in how we view and interact with money today. Um, and so it's been a really amazing program. Uh, definitely required us to be vulnerable and look back and explore some of those messages and stuff that we received growing up. Um, and it's been really powerful. So and I just want to take that learning and um, share with my clients and serve in that purpose. Yeah, that's so cool. Because like you said, any kind of money advice or knowledge that like I generally hear or I've gotten is kind of like, yeah, like the like the black and white version, like what can you mm-hmm. budget? What can you spend? Like mm-hmm. how can you fix like accounts, like this and that. But like as time is evolving and as we're learning as a society, so many aspects of your life, whether it's fitness, whether it's mm-hmm. like your work patterns, whether it's like finances, it all comes back to like something way deeper within you mm-hmm. that started from a very young age. And yes it's yeah it's so important to kind of address that to be able to um stop like continuing with those negative and toxic behaviors like I feel mm-hmm. like that's the only way we can work with that is if we learn from that so I'm curious you have like this one angle of working with millennials and then this other angle of like this trauma-informed trauma-informed mm-hmm. like finances mm-hmm. for instance I'm just curious like what are some common themes that you notice with this age group in terms of like their behaviors with finances yeah, I think for me, a big one is uh, the avoidance, right? Uh, we tend to avoid anything related to money. So whether that's opening up your credit card statement, mm-hmm. um, paying bills, or just really acknowledging the reality of your financial situation, I, I sense a lot of avoidance from my clients around that. And so when we dig deeper into that, they're usually avoiding some sort of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether it's looking at their credit card statement and being like, ah, that indicates to me that I'm not responsible. I should have been more responsible. I should have not have made those purchases and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, where's this idea of you not being responsible is coming from? Like, who taught you that? Like, where has that originated from? And then it's like, yeah, we go back into like, when they're a kid or a teenager and like, they're 
their mom or dad told them that they're not responsible in some sort of sense. And so they're carrying that messaging with them. Um, so it's really, really powerful. And so um, the avoidance is that we are turning away from discomfort. Mm-hmm. And really what we got to do is we got to turn towards the discomfort and really sit and feel um, what it is that we're avoiding um, in order to sort of like get past that and then actually make some um, changes for yourself. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. That really resonated with me when you, I, I that never even occurred to me too, because I'm thinking about like the way I approach my finances mm-hmm. and like I've seen this. I've done this analyzing thing with other things like relationships, for example, right? right? Like how you said, like, I don't feel good enough, for example, Mm -hmm. like you can trace that back, but yeah, that's kind of cool. Like thinking about it with money, I'm irresponsible. Where did that narrative Mm -hmm. for you start? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. I love that. That just really like opened up. So I'm curious, like when you do have these situations, um, where you are kind of go digging a little bit deeper and kind of leaning in and like working through it, what kind of steps and resources do you um, give your clients in order to kind of overcome these limiting beliefs and just like stuff from their past? Yeah, for sure. That's a good question. I think one is first creating a safe space for them to explore. Mm-hmm. You know, there can be a lot of resistance in the first place to go there, mm-hmm. um, which is totally fair. And so it's first just kind of, for me, create that space, whether that's um, bringing up my own uh, money narratives and stories from the past to kind of give them examples or to have them thinking, start having thinking along those lines. Um, what I also do is through the Trauma of Money program, we have these different worksheets um, that explore um, different goals that you may want to have, but then all the beliefs and uh, the things that might be tripping you up on the way to that goal. And so Mm -hmm. that's a very powerful exercise I like doing with my clients. And then the third thing that I do is just really explore that emotional spending side Mm -hmm. um, with my clients. And so I have them look back over their past statements. Um, I have them tally up some of those purchases that they feel by purchases. I mean, like miscellaneous purchases, like retail, food, all that stuff, like not bills or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Have them look through that and anything that they felt good about, like make a note of that, like why did that purchase feel good or why is that purchase still bringing value today? Mm -hmm. And the purchases, they feel like meh, like, or they completely regret making. And like, okay, now we have these two buckets and this bucket of where you didn't feel good about your purchases. Do you remember the state you were in when you made that purchase? Were you tired? Were you stressed? Were you hungry? Were you... Uh, you know, coming back from work, like what was it that prompted that if they could remember making that purchase? And so then from there, we then dive into some patterns that might be coming up. Um, and so it's really, it's deep work. Like that takes a lot of time to kind of go yeah. through one session. Um, and it's, I just love seeing the impact that that has on my clients. Cause again, it's like, they don't think about money that way. Money, seems, money just appears to be this, like you said, black and white. A very cold emotionless thing and that's not the case so it's really it's really exciting work for me to be able to dive into that with them that's so true I like a few weeks ago I decided to go through like Sephora and then oh yeah yeah cart this huge cart of things Mm -hmm. and I was like and it was it was not like it was not a necessary spend and I'm just like looking at it and I'm like this would make me feel so much better if I had all these things. And I'm like, but why would it make you feel better? But you're sad and you're making your irrational choices. Mm. And then I'm like, yeah. And then I started to cut things out and I'm like, okay, 
And then it just ended up being still being a purchase, but like things yeah. I actually needed and it was like smaller. And I was like, uh, I kind of looked at it from the other end of that. And I was like, what did I just do? Like that was <laughs> like going through that whole process of kind of listening to yourself and like why you're yeah. doing things. I actually, another thing that I wanted to ask you too is um, I feel like a lot of times we will spend on things to kind of make us feel better. Like I was saying, so I mean, yeah. like an example would be like, I don't know, if you're feeling kind of low, like self-esteem, you'll go spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to fix your hair. And yeah. I'm just kind of curious based on like a, someone who's experienced in finances, like when does it make sense to put in that like self-care and kind of take yeah. something to feel good about yourself? And when is it yeah. like impulsive and like, you know, you're just mm-hmm. kind of emotionally spending and it's not healthy? Yeah, that's a great question. I love that question. Um, so my response would be this. Um, in order for that purchase to be intentional and really be something that will benefit your self-care or your self-worth in the future, um, is I would just explore and give yourself time before making that purchase. So whether that's 24 hours a week, doesn't matter. But in that time, also explore what you're looking for. So say, yeah, I feel crappy and I have low self-esteem right now, and I'm like, okay, I just need, like, a new wardrobe, or, like, I need some sort of, like, change in my life. That's the key right there. You need to change. You feel bored. You feel like something, you feel, like, a little bit drabby, and so it's like, okay, could I create change in my life that's non-monetary, that doesn't require me spending any money, so whether that's, like, maybe changing up my room, like, just changing up how I, like, uh, wear certain clothes during the day like is there something else that you could be doing to kind of give you that same feeling that you're looking for without spending the money and so if you do that work and you're like nope this isn't it then sure go ahead make that purchase that you have to make to like make yourself feel good um i think another thing i don't like doing is uh, guilt shaming or guilt and shaming um our purchases and our past behaviors because that doesn't serve us that doesn't do anything for you and so again if you were to make that purchase um, and you were to feel guilty afterwards, there's no purpose in being guilt and guilty. If anything, just use that as, as a lesson um, to do better next time. So mm-hmm. I think that's also important. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's, it is, it does come down to the feeling and it is almost like kind of reprogramming your brain, right? To kind mm-hmm. of, how do you satisfy that feeling instead of just like on the surface level, like what'll make you feel better? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I'm also curious too, because we're talking about like trauma and a lot of the times the trauma comes from like your childhood. Mm-hmm. Where do you think is like the main source in our childhood where like these kind of ideas or these self-soothing methods or like mm-hmm. weird spending habits come from? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I wish I was a psychologist. I'm not. So I'm going to do my best job at this. And I think I'll relate back to my own experience. Um, I think that's the best way I can answer this question. So um, growing up in an immigrant minority household, money was tight, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I always experienced that. We, I, we couldn't always buy the latest toys or um, I would hear my parents arguing about money. And so these ideas started to form to me about how having a lack of money meant lack of control, lack of power, lack of influence, lack of security. It, it creates arguments like between you and your partner, like all these sort of messages came up to me um, as I would explore that retroactively now. And so I, that can really happen whenever, like my most powerful 
uh, memory is when I, from when I was 16. And for someone else, I might be when they were eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but from when I was 16, we almost lost our home. Um, and in that um, time period, we had a bank representative come to our house. And the only memory I remember him saying is, they don't have enough, as in they don't have enough money. But the way I internalized that message was, I am not enough unless I have money. Mm, okay. Right? Like, yeah. how powerful is that? Like, mm-hmm. just from what that random bank representative said, yep. how I picked up on that. And so that really influenced how I showed up with money, which was, I was very frugal. I always wanted to save. Like, I felt, I, I felt really guilty letting go of my money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to really work breaking that cycle for myself of like depriving myself of like any fun spending. Cause I just thought like, okay, it's irresponsible. Money means power and influence. Like I need to keep all my money. Um, but then I would end up in a cycle of like deprivation, overspending, guilty, deprivation, overspending, guilty. Like mm-hmm. I was stuck on a wheel. And so it took a lot for me to kind of break that and create a system for myself where that wasn't the case. So I guess going back to your original question, which I hope I answered, um, but it's just, I think it, hap- it can happen at any point. Um, as young as, yeah, and I wish I'd had the main range, but I, I don't. But I think at any time during that childhood to adolescence, um, money memories and opinions and narratives can be formed. Totally. And I, I like that you also spoke about just being in like an immigrant minority household. Yes. Because there are specific, I guess, needs and challenges that do happen when you are in that kind of environment. And so I'm just curious, based on like your personal experience and your work experience, what kind of themes do you see in those kind of situations in terms of finances? Yeah, I think one is, again, coming from an Indo-Canadian household, um, the woman in the household is kind of taught to leave all the finances to the man. Mm-hmm. Right. And so being a daughter in that sort of environment, what do you take away from that? It's like, okay, I don't have to learn anything about money because my future husband or partner will take care of it all. And that's also what we're kind of taught with um, marriage being such a big deal for us. Like that's the big thing. It's like, if you're not married, then you're not, it's some sort of like act of shame and your own sort of um, accomplishments are sort of put to the side of your education and your job and your salary maybe like that doesn't matter you need to have a good husband um and so i think for a lot of women um in immigrant households those types of messages are pretty well aligned across the board um and that just leads to this idea of yeah just a lack of financial dependence like we need to depend on others to provide and serve for us uh we don't have to do that because we grew up in a household where that wasn't the case um, but we also grew up in a household where maybe alcoholism played a, a factor, um, in the Indian house, in the Indian sort of like community, like you don't show that you don't have money, right? Like you flash and pretend that you have, you try to keep up with not the Kardashians, but whoever else, but like, you know, you try to keep up with the other families around you. And so again, it's also like the idea of like fake it till you make it mm-hmm. don't reveal, what's truly going on with the situation because that's shameful. We don't talk about money. We don't, you know, we don't go there. Um, so yeah, those are some type of uh, messages I have to see like in Asian specific immigrant households. Um, 
and just like ones that I've witnessed uh, with my clients and with myself as well. So I'm um, curious to, to kind of hear from you. Um, yeah, just what sort of like money narratives do you think based on your upbringing you think you've like internalized today if you want to yeah, go? Yeah, um, trying to think right now. I definitely, I definitely agree with what you're saying about the kind of fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of a culture entirely and especially around like weddings and stuff like that Um, I'm sure a lot of young uh, people in like the Indian community you think in your head as you're growing up you're gonna have this like week-long wedding and all these like flashy outfits and you're going through all these ceremonies parties and whatever but now that I'm older I'm like to what cost like I realized when I was younger that whether it was family members or like just went to attended, they took out loans for that. They took out like mm-hmm. loans against their mortgage for that. Like mm-hmm. a whole extended family contributed towards those things. So that was a big eye opener for me to learn on my own. Like, why do people still have this expectation to do these grand events at the cost of like your financial sanity and, and even your personal sanity, like waking up every day, knowing that you have like, I don't know, like, Fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars that you are owing, and even in like the, we live in Vancouver, right? Like, people, it is a reality for people to live like paycheck to paycheck and to have that like huge like spending after. So that was like a big shock to me when I was older in my twenties. Like, people choose to do that kind mm-hmm. of like spending and living. I was like, I thought it was just normal. Like the the mer- the like the fairy money like just comes yeah. <laughs> and you can have this like great wedding. Yeah. So that was a shock to me. Um in terms of like person like if I could talk about my personal issues with spending and like what I kind of like matching from when I was younger. I think with my um within the home. So like I'm an only child. So I think that kind of uh-huh. yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. was like a big one. Um I growing up we I I had humble a humble upbringing like we would be Mm -hmm. renting from place to place so when I was younger like um year after year and then we finally moved into a house and things were a little bit more settled but I think with me my parents never showed me that they struggled Mm. yeah and so obviously it was within good intention Mm-hmm. to never like show me that there was like any struggle like financially because like every like I realized when I'm older everyone does struggle at some point with finances especially when you're a new immigrant that's inevitable mm-hmm. and so I never saw the kind of struggle because for me we still went on vacations every year for example oh, yeah. yeah and like I still we were still able to have great experiences and I still yes. had like a like a childhood where financially like everything was fine so I Mm -hmm. think growing up I never like in my head it was like everything's always sorted out kind of thing yeah yeah I like for example when I turned 19 and I got my first credit card like I don't think I don't think I realized that the steps in between of like that conscious spending or like I was like yeah like whatever it'll get figured out kind of yeah yeah. that was like my big um I realized my money value that I um got from when I was younger and then I think ever since then it's it has been kind of a bit of a cycle like um, mm-hmm. I know what to do. I'm aware of how to like not be like that. But then you still kind of like fall into that. Oh, like don't worry if it's something you want to yeah. do. Like, the money will come later, and then it, yeah. it's just like yeah, like those kind of things. Yeah, 
come up. So that, that's a really big one for me. Yeah, that's, that's great that you're you're aware of that um, yourself. I mean, we haven't worked together, so like that's just complete. <laughs> like that's your own sort of like yeah. realization. And so um, mm-hmm. that's amazing. I think, yeah, I liked what you said earlier, just like people make a choice, yeah. you know, like they don't have to spend $100,000 on a lot of sweating, but maybe it's expectations, maybe it's what mm-hmm. they want. It's like, uh, they will make that choice, even if it's detrimental to um, their financial health and mental well-being and such. And yeah, that's that's kind of like where my, a lot of my coaching philosophy comes back into, which is like, you have ownership, you know, mm-hmm. you have control, even though you might feel you're out of control with your money. Um, and so, um, yes, I want to kind of acknowledge that point that you made earlier. And then going into, yeah, it's how you were you were sheltered from any of the money conversations growing up. Um, yeah, definitely a blessing in disguise because you didn't witness what was going on behind the scenes, but it became, like you said, this idea of like, oh, it will work out. Mm-hmm. Like it always has a way of working out, um, which is a great belief to have if you have actions behind that, mm-hmm. um, but just believing it isn't enough. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I will give yeah. you two. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. In your 20s, you connect the dots. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that was like one of the big ones. And I think it's great that you're highlighting the specific needs for this kind of demographic, too, because I actually do believe the idea that you're not in control, that is a narrative that does get passed down, too, because especially when you're, I, I, I like think about my parents' experience moving to a new country, like, I think you do lose that sense of agency because you kind of don't always get to do what you want to do. You do what you have to do. And then that sense of control does get lost in the narrative. So I think it's important, especially, I think like, especially the area that we live in, there's going to be a lot of like first generation Canadians like us that are getting passed on this narrative that maybe you don't have the control, but Mm -hmm. essentially like we, everyone has the control. So it's good Mm -hmm. to bring that back and kind of, bring that message back like you can be in control of your spending and your values and it can be okay 100%. yeah I, I love it I think it's great and I love that you brought like some psychology into um finances I remember that post that you um posted a long time ago about the different types of spending and what yes. what, what the issue was underlying that and I was like that makes a lot of sense like that's really cool yeah, it just definitely brings a new layer, a new insightful layer, because I feel like, too, with us young adults, I'm like, how many times are you going to tell me to go on the Mint app and, like, budget? Budget, yeah, 100%, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yes. it's, it's a great tool. I think it's great, but yeah. why does it, what's what's the use if you don't understand, like, why you keep doing this over and over again? Yeah, so I'm I like, agree. Um, aside from aside from Mint, which is a great app, I'm not going to put it down. But like, what <laughs> other resources do you suggest for um, finances, especially for this age group? Yeah, one stop paying bank fees. Like, mm-hmm. stop it. <laughs> There's so many people, even my friends, that still pay like a monthly fee or pay for e-transfers stuff like that. There are alternative banks out there, especially online banks, that you can do this for for free. Um, as a young person myself, like I don't need to walk into our branch. Um, I do everything online. Um, I don't feel like there's a different sort of sense of security between an online bank versus like an in-branch bank, which mm-hmm. some of my clients have expressed, um, you know, some like worries around. Um, but stop paying bank fees. It's like a money suck. 
and you may not even realize it because it seems like such a small amount, but over the years, like it all add up. So one is just go find yourself a no fee bank. Um, another resource for me, I think I'm not really a fan of like any sort of budgeting tools because I've tried them all and none of them have worked for me personally. I don't like the idea of you only have $31.51 for um, retail for the rest of the month. Like it, it's so confining and restrictive that I personally don't um, believe in that because as soon as you spend over that amount, you feel guilty, you know, and you're like, ah, oh, screw it. Like the whole thing's messed up. Like I had to borrow from now from this different bucket to move to that different bucket. Like it's too complicated. Um, so I have a different sort of budgeting philosophy that I share with my clients that just makes it a lot easier and you don't have to think as hard. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's just like, we tend to overcomplicate, um, our finances when it doesn't necessarily have to be. Um, but again, information overload, right? You Google how to budget, you're going to get a million different links. Um, so, um, yeah, I personally don't believe in a budgeting app, but some do. And so I'll leave that to you to decide for yourself, but yeah. Um, let me see, think of a third one. Um, in terms of a money tool, I think, yeah, I think another hack is, um, I know credit scores and credit cards is like a really confusing aspect for people. And there's a lot of misinformation, um, such as, oh, I need to max out my credit card to have a good score. That is false. That is false. Don't do that. Um, the credit bureaus have a formula. It's a little bit boring, but yes, there's a formula and a breakdown and uh, a good chunk of that is called um, credit utilization. And so basically what that means is they look at how much credit of your credit limit you use. And if they see that you're inching towards using almost all of your credit limit of a thousand dollars, for example, they're like, okay, this person needs credit a lot. Why is that? Or they get worried they're like, okay, they're, this person's going to overextend themselves and not be able to pay it back. So what you want to do is keep your utilization under, I think 30% is the number that they go for, which is ideal. So if you have a thousand dollar credit limit, don't spend more than 300 on it and you will still have a good credit score along with obviously paying back your bills on time. So there's a lot of misinformation about credit scores out there. And so I'll be doing some more education around that um, as well. But another thing, another small tip. So one question I have about credit scores is let's say you get to that place where you're kind of over that 30% bracket and you're, mm -hmm. but you're working towards like getting back to like a healthy place. If you have a bad credit score, can you work towards having a healthier credit score? Or is it like once you're in the doghouse, like you can't get out? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's never permanent. Okay. And that's such a great question to ask. Like people think like, oh, now that I'm here, I can't get back up. Uh, that's completely false. Uh, it will take time. It'll take a few months of just having good mm -hmm. habits and paying your bills off in time and um, having more of those, I guess, like negative uh, scores on your account fall off. Like for me, for example... Uh, this is pretty powerful. Like I'm a millennial money coach and my credit score dipped from, I think, 800 to 630 uh, because there was a credit card of mine that I didn't use anymore, but I put a small purchase on by accident mm -hmm. and it remained unpaid for like three months and my score dipped more than hundred points. Um, and I was frustrated at myself. I was like, how did I let that happen? And then I started to equate my self-worth with my credit score. 
because I was like, oh, this is showing me I'm irresponsible and that's not the case. And so I'm not back at where I want to be, but I'm back to a better spot. So it's going to take time for me to erase that missed payment. And that's just how detrimental it can be, but it's not permanent. Got it. That makes sense. So there's always opportunity to improve when it comes to finances. Yes. And as a millennial money coach, I messed up too. Um, and it will resolve itself. And so it's okay. It's that's okay. a good point to like be forgiving and just work on being better. I think that's a really good point, especially with money too. Well, thanks for sharing all of that stuff. I think there's like a lot of good information that was put there and a lot of good self-reflecting opportunities. Mm-hmm. I think I even want to think about this later too with my yeah. own money spending. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I want to know more about you on a personal level. So what is the culture of Parveen? Do you have any like books, podcasts, music, or movies or anything like that that you're really into right now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm big on personal development and self-growth. And so what you'll find me doing is just, yeah, those typical uh, mindset things like as meditation, I uh, suffer from anxiety. And so um, earlier this year, I just committed myself to doing 10 minutes of meditation a day. Um, it sounds very woo-woo and like everyone does it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's something that I truly value. Um, I go for walks and I listen to podcasts. That's my main thing. So um, the profession, the perfectionism project is a big one that I listen to. Life, the school of life coaching is I think is another one. And then Jay Shetty's um, On Purpose podcast that I love. So um, yeah, it's kind of like, I'm so boring, but like <laughs> I, that's basically what I do. And then I'll Netflix um, like anyone else would. And so the 100, I don't know if you know that show, but like that's, I've been watching that show for like years. So the 100, Friends, I will watch on repeat, even though I've seen it 10 million times. Um, yeah, like, and just like any sort of like good like rom-com type of movie, like I'm always into um, to kind of pass the time. So. Nice. I hope I don't sound boring, but like I'm just, yeah, I spend most of my time just like meditating, walk, yeah. yoga, work my business, work my, my nine to five. So, Definitely. and then I have some fun in between. You're doing the millennial grind. as Yeah, we- exactly. <laughs> and where can we find you if you want to connect with you or look at more of your um, posts and resources? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the main one right now is on Instagram. Um, my website's still under construction. Uh, but on Instagram, you can find me at parween.mander. Um, and then you'll see my bio there um, as a millennial money coach. Awesome. Well, thank you again for uh, sharing your work and your insight on money. I am looking forward to posting this and seeing more content that you're going to be releasing as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. That's awesome. No problem. And thank you to everyone for listening. If you get a chance, please check out my Instagram at Young Culture Podcast, and we will talk to you soon.